Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cut and Splice. This is Matt speaking, and as usual, I'm here with our co-hosts. This is Gil. And this is Jason. And uh, this week we are bringing in a guest host, uh, one of my closest, dearest, and most cherished friends, Andrew. So, uh, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and give everybody a hello? Hi, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Super excited to talk to you today. This is going to be a ton of fun. Yay. Hey, and it's worth mentioning that Andrew is the the reason, really, that we started this podcast because um, our first our first episode, Tenant, was was based on a discussion we had online, and Andrew said you should really record this so we can all all enjoy the conversation, and uh, that's how this all started. I really prefer to think myself as the inspiration behind the <laughs> podcast, but I'll take reason too. You don't want too much of the blame. For sure. <laughs> oh, it, it, we might as well just call you the catalyst. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, that that's just the objectively correct word, right? Catalyst. Um, but um, anyway, this time around, we are talking about Darren Aronofsky's 2006 film, The Fountain. I have my own opinions and I'm going to uh, open the floor to everybody else before I interject. Uh, so, uh, Andrew, why don't you go first? Because you're our guest and you should set the stage. Awesome. I'm really glad to go first, in fact, because I think uh, the context in which we see movies sometimes is super important. And seeing The Fountain was actually one of my most favorite times ever going to see a movie in a theater. Just to kind of put it into context, Matt and I went to go see it, like on a random Saturday night, went to go see some, let's see it at some rinky-dinky independent uh, theater. And that's one of the nice parts about like being close to Matt is you find yourself going to see movies that you would never normally experience. And it's just, you know, nothing better to do. Matt has this idea. It's like, hey, I heard about this. Let's go check it out. And, so, you know, you have the bromance thing going on there. <laughs> and you, you know, we wind up at this, uh, seeing this incredible, just incredible movie that's really just an emotional gut punch and roller coaster of a ride. And I remember it was actually uh, raining throughout the entire movie. So we had the benefit of having that, uh, having that additional soundtrack while the whole thing was going on. And it was really cool because, like, walking out of the movie, I think Matt and I were both kind of stunned a little bit, you know, for our own reasons. And just taking a moment to breathe in that fresh air that was just accentuated by the rain. It just made for, like, a really, really beautiful experience. So I definitely have a lot of love for this film. I definitely understand some of the criticisms behind it. But it's definitely one of my favorites, especially because it's a theme that makes me very emotional. And I just think it's just an absolute beautiful beautiful tiny little film cool yeah i I think it's what's interesting about it because it was also it came out in a period that we were all in film school Mm -hmm. and 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 there was that sense that all of us was in that pretentious mode of we want to try and be into art house movies or or indie movies or interesting movies things like that and and i think this one was definitely one of those like polarizing one that when it came out 
the, the people who liked it really loved it. And the people who disliked it thought that the people who liked it were just pretentious assholes and didn't really like it. They just wanted to seem smart by liking yeah. it. Um, so uh, it is, it's one of those movies that I did say, wow, we need to do it on the podcast at some point. And I was so happy that Andrew brought it up because, because, because uh, we can give it the, uh, the, the four panelist treatment and, and, uh, and get more opinions for sure. Cause, cause I wonder if me, Matt and Jason will be, um, you know, fairly close in our assessment, but, but I guess, uh, that's remains to be seen. <laughs> I'm glad that you said it and not me because, um, when I saw the fountain in theaters, I really loved it. And I was like, Whoa, Oh my gosh. I even remember going to school the next day and talking to a bunch of people about it and just kind of like discussing what our <sighs> thoughts were, what we thought was going on in certain parts of it, stuff like that. Over the years, I've probably seen it three more times, including tonight, just an hour ago. I do think my opinion has dropped of it, but um, probably not as low as I would assume some of you, uh, yours or Matt's maybe, perhaps. But uh, as you said, we'll see when we go deeper into this. I think it's pretty good. It's just, um, it's got some issues. I think it's far from his best, uh, Aronofsky's best film. So that that's kind of my you know, surface take on it. Yeah, I, I guess I'll uh, I'll say my reaction to it this time around before I let uh, Matt go uh, is that because we're talking about our memory of it from back then. But this time around, I, I agree. You see the intention. You see that this is a, a really good filmmaker. Uh, I wouldn't say a master filmmaker. He's made some really good movies, but I, I don't put it in the upper echelon of, uh, you know, modern masters. I think he's close to it, but he's had uh, too many misses. <laughs> uh, it's just uh, ma mainly, I think, uh, like two or three movies that are like really, really good. But yeah, it's tough. It, it, he's tough, but I think he's extremely talented. But it's almost odd how he just made so many wrong decisions with this movie. Like you see it while you're it's it's all smart. It's all calculated, but it's all too much all over the place too much. And you wonder if maybe that's what it was supposed to be. Um, but and, and like you said, we can get into it in the second part of the discussion with spoilers and everything. But but I, I really wanted to like we like we often do in these episodes, like when I, mean, I watch a movie that I've disliked before, I'm trying to look for what's good about it. And if I watch a movie that I love, I'll try to look for the flaws because we're trying to refresh our view about it and be as objective as possible. Uh, but yeah, it was just very tough. It was very, I, it's too many issues, uh, but I, I saw the talent. The talent was there. The look was great. The, the music is amazing. Um, but yeah, it's too many problems. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, have all of us gone to one of those like late night planetarium shows where they do like a, a laser show and it's set to you know like pink floyd or you know some other kind of awesome rock music or something like that i've never been to anything like that before I, i've been to those things where they project the stars up onto the ceiling so okay so I, all right so yeah you don't know what i'm talking about but i know uh, what you're talking about i've never been <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> well, he, he has a uh, he has yeah, yeah you're right right you can imagine it as far as I'm concerned, the fountain 
is basically like a, a 10 out of 10 version of one of those planetarium shows where you're just like back there in your seat and you're seeing a bunch of really psychedelic, awesome images and it's set to really awesome music and it's just washing over you. It's just gorgeous. And it's, I mean, it's a feast for the eyes and the ears and it, it, especially if you see it on a big screen, it's just engulfing you. It, 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 you feel like you're inside of this world and then you come out of it and you are not at all regretful that you spent an hour and a half watching it. And still, when you look back upon it, it's really lacking a lot of soul. A, a, a lot of actual substance. And uh, there are a lot of logical problems. You know, there are a few ham sandwiches, but there is no getting around the fact that this is a movie that is just amazing to look at and to listen to. And to experience. So, like, I, I mean, it, it's one of those things where I, I, I can't actually think of a movie in which, like, there are more flaws that I can point to that I would still just say, look, just go see this movie because, uh, you know, it will just fuck your mind with how beautiful the the visuals and the sound is i it doesn't matter like just just experience it it doesn't matter that this movie has so many flaws it's just gorgeous just experience it just subject yourself to it yeah we can deal with all the flaws later just experience the movie so that's a uh, recommend. Yeah, I guess you, you do recommend it on some level then. Well, what's your yes. rating? I guess we can get into that. <laughs> uh, I, I, oh, am I starting? I, I guess yeah, I'll let's start with Matt. Uh, okay. Uh, seven and a half. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay. It's a beautiful movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's that beautiful. It's a freaking yeah, cinegasm. It's kind of like a Tarkovsky thing. It's like you liking Tarkovsky movies because it's very <laughs> like cinematographically, yeah. like, but not story-wise. So this is like you're giving a pass because of the cinematography. Like you would rate it like uh, a five uh, or a six if it wasn't for the look of the movie. It's it's not just the look; it's the sound. I mean, it's oh, the it's sound, the, yeah. uh, the editing, like the actual craft of it. I mean, you're. I mean how do you not watch that movie and not get a boner at some point? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And by the way, I'm not, uh, I, I've before, I've also rated poop movies slightly higher for one reason or another. So I'm not putting that down. I'm just asking if that's some of the reasoning. Cause you've seen the same as well. Clarification. Flaws. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it's a legit reason. If you have like a strong affection for a movie, whether it's the plot, certain characters in it, 
or just the music. Yeah, the, there's no doubt. I remember, like we said at some point, that this is a candidate for like probably uh, the best music ever in a subpar movie or something like that. Yeah. It's probably one of the top 10 scores of yeah. all time, but in a top 10,000 movie. Top 1,000. Yeah, uh, uh, no, I mean, if they do a re-release of this in a planetarium or in an IMAX theater or something like that, and they're charging $17 for it, I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, I can understand I, I, that. I mean, like... <laughs> IMAX, yeah. I, I, mean, uh, I, I mean, preferably I would be on weed or something, but, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I would totally go. Uh, anyway, <laughs> well, what about you, uh, Andrew? Well, I actually rate it very close uh, with Matt. I mean, you know, I I think I, I'm more at an eight because, like, of the experience I had when I first saw it. You know, you have Matt synagasmy right next to me, like the whole time. <laughs> you know, that adds a little something M- to multiple, it. Multiple, <laughs> multiple Multiple times. You know, because that is, I mean, it is. I think the way Matt described it was really was really good in the sense that it's an experience, and I think it's quite an emotional experience. And I think that's part of where it was very strong for me. Where probably is one of the biggest flaws in the movie is that it is just so entwined with just one main emotion um but i mean you have there's so many good things about it that i love uh the music of course being extraordinary the special effects were just incredible and i think timeless as well and then uh the acting this isn't something that hasn't been mentioned yet but hugh jackman is just incredible in the movie he just is so good with this obsessive characters that he plays sometimes where he just really just is kind of going nuts throughout the course of the movie and it's it just it just adds to it i think it it really makes it profound for me so i'd say a solid eight um i'm just listening to your story thinking about like what it's like you know seeing a movie with matt but then of course like in my head exaggerating (laughs) it because (laughs) matt's very fond of telling and retelling uh, a story that he uh, of him going to a really terrible movie with his uh, ex-girlfriend and her coming out of the movie telling him that she could tell exactly when he was getting pissed off at the movie because she would be squeezing her hand really hard and i'm just like <laughs> picturing Andrew in a movie, a crowded movie theater next to Matt, and he's just like, like enjoying the movie, but like right next to him, I'm just picturing Matt just being like, "Oh God, oh God, yeah, yeah, I believe," which is not something Matt does. I just in my head, I, I it makes the story better. To think about it. Yeah, he's not a screamer. He's yeah. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> when I think about the movie overall, I think about it as like a uh or like let me rephrase that. When I think about Aronofsky's movies and I think about how I you know what I thought about this movie and everything, um coming on the heels of Requiem for a Dream makes me want to give this movie like a a rating of like a six or something just because I love that movie so much. And I had huge expect like high expectations for this movie. And I did really like it when it came out. I just, as I've said, I, I, over time it kind of went down, 
I don't think it's fair to go quite that low. I'd probably say like six and a half. It's probably how I feel about it. Mm. Also, right now you're a six and a half. Yeah, I'm six and a half, seven, somewhere in there. I hadn't really thought about it until you actually said the the you know um, brought up the grading thing, which is something I always forget to think about ahead of time. Well, that's that's okay. It's part of the show that just kind of off the cuff. We just saw the movie, so you should presumably give a verdict. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, so for me, I I guess I'm a bit more extreme. Like this movie, and like you said, after um, Requiem for a Dream, the expectations were pretty much as high as it can get, and yeah. uh, and and I it really broke my heart. It's it, um, kind of like Inception after um, The Dark Knight. Like it, it's just uh, The Dark Knight was close to a perfect movie. The you know Requiem for a Dream was close to a perfect movie, and then. Um, yeah, a very imperfect movie follows um, more so with this, I would say, than Inception. Uh, I rated it a four back then. Like my my rating on IMDb from back when was a four, and I think it was mostly an, an emotional and the reverse to what Matt was was doing. I, I really thought that it was a sin to have these images and this music and give such a poor characterization of uh you know the the cast like the characters the the dialogue the uh the plot lines the even the homages were like the i don't know felt a bit too heavy-handed um but um which we'll get into in the second part um but um and it's so sad yeah because of like what this movie was trying to be like and it's so not it's so not um and and it's okay he was doing his own thing but listening to all of you and and seeing it again and and appreciating the good aspects of it, I, I need to give it a five. Like I need to not be too brutal with it because I, I do feel like there's there's value to it for sure. Yeah. I'm not sure if I would go as far as like what Matt is saying because like not everybody's gonna like watch a movie just for visuals and music. Um, but. If you're a cinematographer or if you're a composer, yes, you should watch this movie. If you're just a casual movie watcher, I don't think neither of those things are going to make the movie a better experience for you. Yeah, that's that's kind of like my verdict. Yeah. Um, where okay. do you guys, uh, not to get super deep into this, because I know that this is usually a black hole for us, but um, where do you place this on Aronofsky's um, filmography rankings? Yes. So I, I can I can start. Um, so we said the Requiem for a Dream. I think it's probably his best movie. Um, uh, the Wrestler is a very very good movie. I know Borderline, just in a different way, uh, as good as as Requiem for a Dream. But but I do think it's there's just less going on there. It's a very different movie. Um, I definitely need to rewatch Black Swan. I actually want us to do a. Uh, a, a, an episode of it because uh, when I watched it in theaters, I've only watched it once in theaters, and there was a fire Same alarm here. in oh, the no. middle of the movie, and we had to go out and come back oh. after we started the movie. So it was like a so-so experience, but I did feel it was better than The Fountain. Uh, not as good as The Wrestler, better than The Fountain. Um, I, I believe, I, I'm not crazy about Pi, um, but it's probably slightly better than The Fountain. Uh, yeah, and I guess Mother has to squeeze somewhere in there. I think Mother was a better attempt at what he was trying to do with the fountain to go really out there, but he was more mature as an artist. So I think Mother would fall like after Black Swan, probably. Uh, right. And and then from Black Swan, uh, I, I do wonder. I actually like Noah. I know that people think it's Whoa. a very fun movie, but I think Noah is better than the fountain. 
so that's my order like um yeah like working for a dream the wrestler black swan mother uh noah the f- maybe pie and the fountain if that's all it's okay been. uh Andrew, <clears throat> sorry andrew do you want to come in or sure uh, sure because for me i actually haven't <laughs> seen all of the, all of his films so it'll be a little easier for me to do it i've only seen wrecking for a dream once i never want to watch that movie again it's just it's understandable just, yeah not gonna put you down for that but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, i watched black swan before once and i don't remember it very much at all and then i um the wrestler is very near and dear to me because i'm a massive pro wrestling fan so that one was also very difficult to to watch so it's hard for me because i love the fountain it's my favorite out of anything that I've seen from him, but I do acknowledge its flaws. So like rank, ranking those is, is tough. I definitely think the wrestler from like a movie perspective, as far as quality of how well it made is, is better. And probably Requiem for a Dream is better too, but I just, uh, I can't go there. <laughs> <laughs> we all go where we need to go. Yeah. 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 All right, uh, Jason. I Mine started out, I, I was really like, surprised that mine started out so similar from gills and then it veered in an entirely different direction uh, <laughs> uh i think requiem and the wrestler are his two best movies i've only seen the wrestler twice and requiem maybe three or four times but um it, for me it's really similar to how i feel about uh like we talked about before um with uh like with Michael Mann with like heat and last of the Mohicans, I'll see one and then I'll be like, that's the best one. And then I'll see the other one. And I'm like, no, what was I thinking? That's the best one. You know, I just go back and forth with it depending on what I've seen more recently. But um, I do love both of those movies a lot. They're easily the, his best too. I do think that black Swan is his third best for sure. And I think that there's a, uh, it stands out above the rest. You know, I think that there's a pretty big gap in quality <laughs> after black Swan pie and the fountain are so different, I think, as movies. Mm-hmm. But in terms of quality, I'd say they're right around the same. I could, if I were to rewatch Pi, there's a chance I might think it's better than the fountain. But as of right now, I'd say they're about the same. Um, yeah. Taking up fourth and fifth, and then <laughs> a significant drop below that, I would put Noah and Mother. Um, I I also, while I don't like Noah that much. Um, I definitely could talk about it at some point in the future because there's, I think there's things in that movie that are really, really good. It's just, I think the movie's a bit of a train wreck for very obvious reasons. And I, we don't even need to get into it, but it's just, I think the movie kind of fell apart and doesn't really work. So that's why I think it's mm-hmm. so low on my list, but I, there's things in it that I really love, like the overall theme and it, just, just the story. There's something that he's trying to accomplish that I think he failed to accomplish, but I think it's admirable and great. Um, Mother is something that I feel exactly the same way that Andrew does about Requiem for a Dream and um, the same way I feel about Eraserhead. Um, I <laughs> really respect a lot of what's in mother i i'm glad that i saw it and i will never watch it again i don't see any reason why i would ever want to subject myself yeah. to that ever again 
It's funny you should but, say that because I was actually uh, was gonna suggest to do it as a double episode with Son of Soul. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I would love to do that. Feature. Uh, yeah, I don't I know if I would love to, but I'd probably partake in it. At least. Let's let's space <laughs> it out. Let's let's give yeah. Jason a few months before we even consider that, just so you can. That's that's <laughs> my ranking would be uh, so yeah. like, like that. I think there's a tier of Requiem and Wrestler then a little bit below that well significantly below that black swan then a big drop to pie and the fountain and then another pretty big drop to noah and mother okay so my turn um uh, so the funny thing with darren aronofsky's filmography for me has been that it's been as far as i can tell hit hit miss hit hit miss and as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned, Pi is a hit. Uh, and I mean, yeah, it has its flaws, but it was also made for like $60,000 and, you know, like it was an ultra low budget movie. It was ambitious. It achieved what it wanted to achieve. And you know, it was pretty damn good. It got attention. Requiem for a Dream, he knocked it out of the fucking park. And he knocked it out of the fucking park well enough that, you know, actually, the the budget for the fountain was originally supposed to be twice what it was when they actually shot it. Um, and I, I think that his biggest problem with the fountain was the fact that he decided to shoot it when his budget was cut in half. And I, I to my understanding, it was supposed to be like a three hour movie and they cut it down to 90 minutes. Uh, you know, just, just take the lump make something else, build up your clout, maybe make your three-hour epic original story later when you have the the resources and the time and everything that you need to actually make it the way that you have envisioned. The Wrestler is my favorite Darren Aronofsky movie. And it is because it kicked me in the in the gut so hard that I, I mean, like there is one scene in that movie, <laughs> uh, you know, where Mickey Rourke is trying to reconcile with his daughter and it's just gone. It's just done. And to this day. Several viewings later, I cannot even look at the screen <laughs> because I can't process the emotions that I'm having in that scene. I mean, it is just, it, it just rips my heart out. It's a powerful <laughs> scene. <laughs> uh, Black Swan, uh, it, it's... Actually, Black Swan is always going to have a special place in my heart because uh, I was in pre-production on a not not so much a horror film, but like a creepy film. 
uh, when I saw that and when I saw the movie, I came out of it and immediately called the director and said, uh, okay, this is, this is a template for what we're going for visually. And then the director saw the movie and said, yeah. And then, you know, we basically did, uh, uh, we basically, basically did that. Noah was a pile of garbage. (laughs) Mother was weird because I actually saw it with my mother. Your fault. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I thought the symmetry there would make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I I I thought Mother was actually pretty fucking good. So uh, I, I I guess if I'm going to do a ranking, I would do the wrestler number one because that movie hurts me more than any movie that I've ever seen ever. And I love being hurt by movies. Requiem for a dream comes second because that hurts me just about as well as any other movie has hurt me. Uh, After that, uh, I think it would be black Swan, then pie then mother uh then the fountain uh then noah i'm just I surprised you have pie uh, ahead of the fountain i'm surprised about that I, 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 that that's that's something that i'm already grappling with i i, I might want to flip those later but yeah, go, uh, yeah. you know Anyway. Yeah, Pi was an okay movie, but you know, yeah, whatever, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. But Nolan's eight thousand dollar movie was better. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if we're going to compare those, definitely. Yeah. I, I'd watch Following <laughs> over Pi any day. Yeah, they're they're pretty similar as far as like the aesthetics, the age that they made them, and all the circumstances yeah. surrounding them. It's uh, they're actually, even though they're very different styles. No, I see what you're saying. That is a good comparison. Now that I think about it. Yeah. yeah. Not exactly, if, but I just yeah. No, no, no. But like, like, I, if if I was visiting you in L.A. and the same night the Arrow Theater was was playing uh, Pi and the Egyptian was playing Following, even if I had seen Following once or twice that year beforehand, I would still recommend we go see that instead of Pi. Although I will say, if if both had Q and A's, I would go see Pi because I've never been to a. Q&A with Darren Arnold. That's a good point. And we have been doing Q&A with, with I'm just saying, because you brought up this weird example, I might as well take it one step. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, and we saw following with Christopher Nolan, so... Yeah, no, that, yeah. Was, a, that was a good Q&A. Yeah, alright, anyway. <laughs> um, it's good, so I guess we're, we're good to go to spoilers. Any other yeah, thoughts as far as recommending? So it sounds like Matt and Andrew more so recommend than Jason and I. I, I I would do a soft recommend. I would soft. recommend it if you're a completist and you want to watch all of Aronofsky's films. I'd recommend it if you're just curious about Aronofsky because you hear a bunch of people talking about what a great and controversial director he is, but you don't like R-rated films because I believe it's the only thing of his that's not a hard R, if I'm not mistaken. And um, yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd recommend it if you're a big Hugh Jackman fan. He's He's got a lot of great acting in it. Yeah, I guess that could lead into the spoilers. Anybody else before going to spoilers? 
Well, I, I would recommend it over just about anything in the MCU for the last like five years. So go <laughs> for it. it. You know, like the regatta over there. I mean, in case in case anyone uh, is is interested to know, as Matt is saying that, my eyes are rolling back into my head so hard that it actually hurt, and my hand <laughs> instinctively started making the masturbation symbol because I just hear it so much. Anyway, uh, yeah. sorry. I I think that points should be given for ambition, even if. Uh, even if the reach exceeds the grasp, you know, you know, it, it, it was trying to do something. The film was trying to do something. The filmmaker was trying to do something and he fell short and we should acknowledge that, but it's better to make a movie that doesn't, achieve its goals than it is to make a movie that achieves its goals when the goal is to suck to suck <laughs> okay <laughs> okay well one, uh, one thing i should say before i forget is that uh, yeah the, you, you were saying something in your rankings about the fact that he really should have waited on this movie and not do it right after his second very successful movie because we, and we often compared it to kubrick not doing t- 2001 as his third movie he made it as like his fifth movie or something sixth like what once he was so established and so beloved that he was like okay i can take some risks like i can yeah so if he had done the wrestler first and maybe even black swan and then swung with to defenses with the fountain he swung the defenses with noah and that was uh, apparently very divisive as well but that's for another discussion. So yeah, no, I, I think, and the funny thing is even Noah is kind of a failure, even with his maturity as an artist. So maybe he would have never succeeded in making his 2001 successfully. Hard to say. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's interesting too, like the bare challenges he had making the movie, because I was reading a little bit about, about it before we, we uh, met tonight. And, um, you know, the, I read that Brad Pitt was originally attached to do the movie instead of Hugh Jackman yeah, when they had, Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. they had the larger budget and then part of it, the film was delayed. So Kate Blanchett could have her child. It would definitely be a, a very different movie because I do think Brad Pitt is an extraordinary actor. I think he's a little better, honestly, than Hugh Jackman, you know, a bit more versatile. But, um, you know, there was a lot of setbacks to this movie. But part of the reason I think why he chose to do it when he did was because he did have a very big emotional attachment to it. And it is such a, an emotionally charged and emotionally driven movie. I think it was just one of those things where he could really separate himself from the material. to maybe repair some of the flaws that, you know, that we briefly touched on. So I think that's important to take into consideration. Yeah. I don't know what you were reading, Andrew, but I, I read something about, um, he wrote the script after his uh, one of his parents died or something like that, or was getting close to dying or something. Yes. So maybe it was just a thing that he felt he really needed to do at the time. Yeah, I believe it was they were uh, they were they were diagnosed with cancer. They survived it, but like yeah. it all stemmed from that. Yeah, and you know, and I gotta say that's the wrong reason to write a script, or at least like the way that he's uh, conceived of it, especially if they survived. Yeah. <laughs> But I definitely think the 
the fountain. It just comes from such an emotional place for me. That's one of the reasons why I love it. But I also think it's also one of the reasons why it is flawed because it is so built around emotion that it lacks depth and complexity that really kind of hurt the movie overall. But, you know, maybe that's more of a spoiler sort of chat than a now chat. Yeah, well, we're uh, in the spoiler section. Yeah. Thing of like restarting several times. So I was gonna say actually, because you you said Andrew about Brad Pitt, which I agree would have been a better. I'm not sure uh, Rachel Weisz was actually I think probably the best performance in the movie, uh, as well as uh, the one from uh, Requiem for a Dream. Um, <laughs> darn it. Oh, 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 jeez. Alan Bernstein. Thank you. Yeah, she she's pretty good. Ethan uh, really good. Who? Never mind. Ethan Suppley. Yeah, oh. no, that yeah. that was like his one of his first big roles after he lost a ton of weight. So it was like really noticeable because it's the first time I remember seeing oh. him being a smaller guy. Oh, he he's he's only but he's only like he's still pretty big compared to what he is now. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, but, but 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 yeah. piggybacking on the whole Brad Pitt thing, because um, I, I think that's where the biggest difference probably is between me and it sounds like all three of you. I'm not sure. But I think his performance is not that good. And I'm not saying that it's his fault necessarily. I think it's the script and the character and the setup that he was given. Uh, but even within that, I think, yeah, I think his performance is not that great in that movie. Um, and, I, and I don't fault him for that. I, I think it's what it's called for. It's called for a lot of crying, a lot of emotion, but a, a bit more restrained uh, there, like a bit more nuance. Uh, I get it; he's supposed to be obsessed, but I've seen better obsessed. Like, I, um, well, how about in every single one of um, Aronofsky's films? Exactly, exactly. Like you see, like uh, uh, who's his face uh, performance in The Wrestler? Uh, Mickey Rourke, uh, yeah. very, very <laughs> subdued performance, and he's known to be a, an iconic sort of like face and and you know like this casual dude, but he's very nuanced in that movie. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah, it's 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 a, it's surprisingly an unnuanced performance. Uh, even though I'm sure there's things to like about it, and maybe those are the parts that some of you like and and and, um, and i just, just don't forgive just it. to clarify i i was chiming in to say that like that that every other or that every one of aronofsky's films are in some way about obsession so therefore there's a performance to look for in all of those and obviously the wrestler's a perfect example for you to go to because it's fantastic but um i i do i do think i i just to clarify i do think that um i, I did like Hugh Jackman's performance in this. I kind of see what you're talking about in some of the scenes where he goes big, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it gets close to almost melodramatic at points, but I, I think there's there's moments where between him and Rachel Weiss, like in the bathtub and stuff, where I feel like it, it uh, really brings it home for me. Yes. It, it, they try. They try. The humor helps. The humanity helps. She's the snowballs. her, yeah, the snowballs. She's her performance is good. She's a solid because this is when she was, I think it was not far from when she did the constant gardener and stuff. She was on a roll, like she was just like couldn't Constantine because she couldn't give a bad performance. Um, but she couldn't unfortunately salvage this relationship and this movie because, because I, I really feel like, like, View Jackman was just hamming it up left and right, like, compared to her. Uh, and even her performance at times, uh, I just think Aronofsky is just like, this is big. It's got to be big. 
Like, and, you know, maybe like a Kubrick type of thing, like, or like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. But it's like, yeah, but the movie itself doesn't, doesn't seem to fit those performances. And, and it is melodramatic completely. I think Matt admitted at some point in the past that it's, it's basically the plot of a soap opera. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, okay, so we are in spoilers, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so when uh, Rachel Weiss's character, uh, Izzy, dies, and they have that scene where uh, Ellen Burstyn comes in, and it's like the moment that she's dying that she says, Oh, you just found the cure. That is emotional blackmail in in so many ways. I mean, like, it doesn't work. If you have a brain in your head when you're watching that scene, you're just kind of like, oh, fuck you. You're just playing with me. You know, that that's not, not how things work. Even beyond that, if you just layer on the fact that it it wouldn't have even mattered if they had discovered the cure like the day before she died it wouldn't have mattered if they had discovered the cure 6 months before she died there would have to there would have had to have been like you know six there would have been like six years of fda approvals before they would have allowed him to inject that into into his wife (laughs) there there is just no way i mean like she was already dead from the moment that the movie started and the character should have known that (laughs) from the moment that the movie started and I, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, turn this into a political conversation, but holy shit, there, there's just no way that that scene makes any sense to anybody who knows anything about how healthcare works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, he probably would have cheated. Like, he probably would have like, snuck it yeah. into her before FDA. <laughs> um, I, I, Matt, I just yeah. wanted to throw this out there. Um, <laughs> you've brought this up to me in the past, and every time we've talked about this has been since the last time I saw it, which was when we all saw it together at Gil's house one time, but before today. So because you brought it up a couple of times, I was on the lookout for that scene this time. Uh-huh. And the moment it happened, I was like, Oh no, this is what Matt was talking about. And I have to agree that this is this is my least favorite scene in the movie because I, I agree with essentially what, what what Matt's saying. I think that the aspect of of the 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 what you're saying, the um the fact that realistically they would have to go through all these trials and things like that, I think for the sake of the movie, we can kind of excuse that because we've already seen this guy doing really reckless stuff that scientists and doctors should not be doing. Like he's cutting corners left and right to show his obsession. This guy would not have, he would have done something illegal. Like he would have been, you know, he, he would have like injected yeah. something dangerous into his wife to try and cure that thing. So I don't really think that's the problem. It's like you said, it's the, if she had, if they'd had her die and then uh, Ellen Burstein had come in later that day or the next day 
even anything like that the 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 day of the funeral or something like that it would have been like wow you know or or even if they had done it the other way around if he had found the cure and then we uh uh bef- like he he goes and tells her about it and there's this happy moment but then she dies before he can get it to her anything like that would have still been preferable to what they did the fact that yeah. she bursts in the door with this big flood of light behind her and then she tells him like guess what you cure death and he literally turns around and runs to his dead wife like come on <laughs> yeah. I, I have to agree it's my least favorite scene in the movie like everything okay. there is a soap opera except for the lighting <laughs> <laughs> right and the um, lighting is really good uh, uh, I have like a uh, like a, a a rant and an alternative movie that could have been made better, but I was going to ask Andrew. Uh, I am curious since you you probably like the movie the most. Uh, what were the uh, aside from what we've mentioned, the the flaws that you did see or acknowledge, especially this time around, maybe? Well, I think it, the biggest problem is that it's it's very singular focus and it's very one note. It's all about just simply. Hugh Jackman's obsession with avoiding death and his fear of death. And that's really like the perspective that shapes everything, uh, whether regardless of what timeline they're in or, or what they're trying to do. Like they, he and Rachel Weiss's characters didn't really have a relationship. He was just like not there for her while she was dying. And then that's it. Everything is just really just structured around that. And I think because it is so simple, that it doesn't really provide any sort of the complexity or nuance or subtext that you would expect from like a, a quality film. Yeah, that's a good no, way to put it. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, and 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 bringing Inception again, the way this movie broke my heart is with Inception. It was the power of ideas, and if you can implant ideas, you can change the world. And then it's a heist movie. This movie, it's about the fountain of youth. It's about ending death. These are big, big subjects. There is so much that you can get into here. You can go into meditation, becoming one with the universe. They even have like that moment in the end where he's like in the the lotus uh, pose, like the meditation pose. But none of that was set up at any point. He is the last person on earth that you would consider a sort of Buddha or, or you know, a, a spiritual person that's reconnecting with the universe there in the end. Like, this movie could have been so much better, could have, like, gone into so many avenues about, like, what's our place in the universe? Are we just, you know, biological robots walking in space? Or are we uh, an extension of the universe, almost like an, a limb of the universe, and and this journey to connect with the universe and become immortal, kind of like the way it is in 2001, where you, the next step in the evolutionary ladder. Um, this, this could have been so, so much better. None of that is in the movie. We don't discuss it, not the ideas, not the, it's just, I want to not die. That's all that you can say about death in life? You don't want, you want to not die? That's just so shallow and, and yeah that's why it's got no soul no depth it's very little substance um and to me if you want to solve the move the idea that he can't 
the moment that he <laughs> finds the cure, she's dead. For one thing, it's a problem that the character is even emotionally involved with someone who has cancer, and that's why he's a cancer researcher. Uninteresting. The most interesting about the character House from the show House is that he hates people, but he loves puzzles. Like, like uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. that's a way more interesting character. But if you can't go that route, because you need to have this idea of uh, the connection between him and her, she needs to be dead. If she were to be dead in the present, and then all the flashbacks would be when you, she was still alive, and his obsession is, I lost my wife, I'm not going to let anybody else deal with death or grief. If that were to become his obsession and his life work because of the death of his wife, and then when he discovers the cure, you don't have that soap opera moment, uh, then you can build the whole thing from the book that she wrote before her death but didn't finish, and in the present when he finally finds the cure but doesn't know if he can really like make it happen, he has to wait 500 years to actually have the technology to implement that. He gets the idea with the seed and making her into a tree in the end and all that. It's that it could have been a nine or a ten. Like it could have been a great movie if like you were just like played yeah. around with the with the order of the, the pieces here and the characters and the timelines. It could have been so, so much better. And, and yeah, go into meditation, spirituality, connection to the universe. Great idea. None of it is in the movie. Fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, they even have the line in the movie, death is a disease. I, uh, like, that's actually a line in the movie. You know, why yeah. not actually explore that fully? Yeah, uh, like, get into it. Just don't throw one line, for sure. You're right, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. I, I think... You're definitely on to something there, Gil, with the changing up the way that the story would have been told entirely from the beginning. But um, I don't mind her being alive because they chose to do the three different stories. I think that what you're talking about, though, or like what could have worked just as well, if not better, um, would have been to have a little more time in the future story so that that way there are flashbacks to when she's alive kind of thing like you know kind of structured that way but um i'm just kind of splitting hairs here obviously it's not really that different from what you just said i don't want to get uh off topic here but i literally just looked over at my wall of dvds and just saw that i have this movie on dvd and had completely forgotten about it and i subjected myself to watching this with a whole bunch of commercials it was really bad um, so I don't know, that, that might say something about the fact that I forgot that I even had this movie uh, and didn't even bother looking because I was so sure I didn't have it. But yeah. I think um, one of the things I wanted to add about Hugh Jackman's performance in, in the movie was something I did find compelling, but it's because I'm, I feel very much the same way like his character does about death. Like it really freaks me out. So I think that's one of the reasons why the movie works so well with me. But it's interesting because he did this movie so closely to performing in The Prestige, uh, which is, of course, Chris Nolan, um, you know, where he has a, another very super obsessive character. But, you know, that's more of a feud between him and Christian Bale and magicians. But it's very similar performances where, you know, you have that obsessive quality, but it's interesting to have those point of comparison uh, because you do have a much more nuanced and uh, wide range in The Prestige. But it was, I thought it was interesting because they were so close together. Huh. 
I'd forgotten that that that's when that was made, but you're right. Yeah, it's just about right. It was um because Memento was two thousand, well, two, uh, yeah, two thousand or something. Something. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, in any case, um, yeah. One other thing I should say uh, before I forget the, uh, as far as comparing it, because this movie was basically kind of copying what Ikiru did with uh, transitions, like match cut transitions. And there's even the one scene where he walks through the street and all the sounds are muted and then they kick in. Yeah. They're directly stolen from Ikiru. Um, and that movie is about death. It's about a guy getting cancer and about his journey. But it's a much more nuanced and interesting and better movie uh, because the whole movie is about that. Like the whole movie is about, you know, you're going to die. What are you going to do about it? Like, why does it matter? Uh, what's the fear? What's the this? What's the that? You deal with all the spectrum of emotions. Uh, you, you're not just singularly, I want to stop death, I want to stop death, I want to stop death, I, I want to cry, I want to cry, I want to stop death. You know, it's uh, there's so much to say about that, and Ikiru does a very good job uh, going through his relationship with his sons and this and that. Like it's, uh, And then all those transitions and everything just become like a nice little touch to otherwise a very, very good movie, where here it feels like it's kind of like stealing from a master, but not for a worthy movie. <laughs> At least it looked good. Um, I think that um, the movie is less about his obsession with trying to cure death. I mean, that is what it's about. But um, I think it's more specifically uh, trying to tell, trying to say that the problem with his obsession of trying to steal or uh, trying to cure death and, and prevent death in that manner is that he's obviously missing out on what little life he has with his wife. And that if he had just not necessarily given up, but had spent more time with her, then that would have been a better use of his, of that portion of his life kind of yeah, thing. I, um, and that I don't have any problem with that. I actually really like that message in within the film i think that it, it's a deceptively simple movie in that sense because that's what i think it's about the my only real problem with it because i think it, it does tell that story well it's just that that's all it has to offer so and even though it's only 90 minutes long it feels like a two and a half hour movie like it, that's my issue with it is that like um, once you've seen it once you rewatch it. And if you know where the story's going, you know, the good moments, you know, what's coming and you're like, Oh, this is a good movie. Oh, I know this is a really good scene. Oh, I can't wait till we get to that part. And it's like, Ooh, we are taking our time getting there. And it's not like we're taking our time with a whole bunch of character development or a whole bunch of story or a whole bunch of anything. Like uh, Andrew said, it, it, it's kind of one note and it's kind of, it's not repetitive, but it, it's one note and it's about what I just said. And it keeps hammering the same point home over and over and over that this guy is missing out on what little life he has left with his wife. And it keeps happening because he keeps making breakthroughs in a, you know, it's not like he's an idiot. Important things are happening in his life that he should be dealing with, but you know, that's the point. And you could kind of, at least I think you could probably make a really great movie about that in like 40 minutes. 
and this movie's like an hour and a half long. So, uh, if if I may interject, uh, sure. there there is a moment, uh, you know, like just before the the star explodes, uh, which uh, actually, by the way, is scientifically incorrect. The uh, the 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 star that they're referring to is not in a nebula, and it's not anywhere close to being a dying star. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, Hugh Jackman's inflection at one point, he says, I'm going to die. He does say, I'm going to die. Oh, yeah. Just before the star explodes. But he doesn't say, I'm going to die in a pessimistic way. He says it in a very joyous way. Like, as if he finally really understood. Holy crap, this is not the, uh, this is not the end of the world. This is just. Uh, this is something that I can finally embrace. Uh, yeah. This is something that I can finally just expect. experience. Uh, yeah, expect and experience after all this time. And it's it's all in the inflection. I'm gonna die. <laughs> you know? Like he's almost tearing up with joy with the knowledge that he's going to die. And I mean, I think that adds a little bit of important nuance to the movie. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's but it's a bit too subtle. It's uh, you know, it's it's a moment. It's a yeah, it's an acting choice that passes something like he's come to terms with it. I hope that's the least that he can do in this movie is like have some <laughs> redemption for this character for being like a cranky you know, obsessed uh, person. But uh, to me, it's not enough. There's just not enough there. I remember like, uh, I think somebody in film school said like, oh, the Lotus pose and everything. So, you know, it's about meditation and connection with the universe. But like, that's a lot of stuff that I have to extrapolate from like one image. Like, why can't we set that up? You know, like... In, um, in... I, I wanted to ask you guys something because it's right about what Gil's talking about right now. So kind of to pile on to what Gil's saying, but in a slightly different way. Gil, I, I believe you were just talking about what you feel the movie lacks uh, in terms of communicating to us more on like a storytelling way and stuff like that. Uh, like the big ideas are not really expressed super well or whatever. In the third portion of the movie, the 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 bubble ship is what I believe a lot of people like to call it, um, which is taking place in the future. That stuff is so vague to me what he's doing why he's doing it how he's doing it when he's doing it um everything about it is so unnecessarily vague that um i had numerous numerous conversations with people after this movie came out where out of a group of six or seven people discussing the movie several people would be adamantly telling us that we were all wrong and that that stuff was all like in his head and was not actually supposed to represent any sort of physical thing that he was actually doing. And while I don't agree with that view, I think that the fact that people saw it that way, I think that's a failure in a way 
of of that as that portion of the story because i mean like it's only a 90 minute movie you know um i, I feel mm -hmm. i feel like there's time to explore what's happening in that portion of his life a little bit more not just the stuff that gil's talking about which of course would probably be the most important stuff to explore like how his character has changed that much and things like that and what what he feels and why he's suddenly this enlightened type person but also like i mean what the heck is the big bubble is that a super space age like spaceship if it is can can you give me a little something like just give me something like I, I one of the thing one of the greatest things about science fiction is is the technical aspect of things and you know uh, and uh, I live for that stuff and there's like nothing at all. Not only that, story wise, he's cranky on the bubble. He is not an enlightened Buddha. Yeah. Like yeah. he's supposed to be this shaven head future man. I guess he's got the wisdom of five hundred years because he's cured death, and I guess they have the technology to flying bubbles but he is not any different in the bubble he just has this mild realization right before death which that could be a point that like maybe he needed death in order to come to terms with you know with with all the issues he's had but but i but would think after 500 have to make all these stretches well, yeah like I... you think 500 years of grief come on i mean like he would be tame a bit there but know. see see that's why i don't think it's he's dealing with grief in that moment i think he's still dealing with fear my interpretation is that the tree is dying and he's tra traveling to go ahead and try to save the tree so that way he can stay alive like up until the climax of the film he still hasn't accepted that he's going to die until he does in that moment so it's still continuing along the same journey still trying to prevent what we all know is going to come but that's that's him still fighting. That's why he's he's not lying in those scenes. So that's that's a good question. So hmm. was it? Uh, but but the tree is her, right? Because there's the whole thing about planting a tree, where someone dies and that's it takes. That's what I've always on. understood it to be. So like I said, super vague. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, because you see the hair, like uh, uh, you know, like the goosebumps and stuff. It's supposed to represent that there's a human soul in there, uh, presumably hers, and this idea that like. If they get to this cloud, um, they're gonna die and be reborn, and uh, and maybe reconnect with the universe on some level, uh, which I, is good I, stuff. I love the. Yeah. I really love the I story. Just wish it I just wish it would have set want, up better. I just, exactly, exactly. Uh -oh. I, I want it to be. It's it's so. The concept is there, and I just I want to be sure that that's actually what they're telling me, and I mean you know maybe maybe I'm just not reading enough into it i don't know uh well i mean jason right you know you brought up you know the whole science fiction aspect and i mean at no point in the more than a decade since this movie has come out have i ever thought about this movie as being science fiction i mean it's it's fantasy it, it is uh something that is is not supposed to really bind itself to our understanding 
of space and time and everything like that. I mean, you know, if you think about it like a poem, I think that the entire sequence of Tom in the, you know, bubble and everything, like, I, I mean, I always thought of it as just the end of Izzy's book. I always thought of it like that. I, I I may I may be wrong. Darren Aronofsky may slap me up the side of the head <laughs> someday and say like, "No, that was seriously supposed to happen." And Tom literally, literally did find the cure for uh, for death, and he's literally going up there uh, with his uh, his wife as a tree to revive her and everything like that. I could be wrong. I always interpreted both the uh, the the conquistador story and the bubble story as just part of the novel. Her novel? Yeah. See, uh, well, I'm well, okay well, with no, that. No, 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 no. I, I, <laughs> I I think that the ending of the novel is what he writes. At right. The end. Well, yeah, but still, you're yeah. talking about uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm totally okay uh, if that's what the story is trying to tell me. I think it's really unclear that that's what it is, though, and that's my problem. Uh, yeah, that's it's misleading I, I, for I, sure. Yeah, because because uh, you know if he did cure death, what do you do then? He's, I'm assuming he's not going to die, so he can live to be 500 years, and, and you can develop technology and all that. And, and, and one interpretation, maybe this is where Darren was clever, that you can interpret it both ways, and it works, because maybe him doing that five year, 100 year later, uh, years later is finishing the novel. Like Maybe he never writes the actual chapter. Maybe when she said, finish it, finish it, finish it, even in the bubble, it's him taking that action. So I think it's open to interpretation. You can interpret it as being just yeah. the last chapter in the book. And, and there's sequences before she tells him to finish it. So the whole bubble was in her story to begin with. It's not like he added it on after. And, uh, or, or at least, yeah. yeah at least, but, but maybe he made it a reality in real life. Because even in the bubble, she tells him, finish it, finish it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a problem with not knowing precisely what Aronofsky was expecting me to get from that portion of the movie. I I, I just don't. I don't care. I just watched it. I got what I felt like I should have gotten out of it. And yeah, I mean, there are some questions, you know, just like the you know, the top spitting at the end of Inception. Uh, that, that only... one's a bit clearer than this one. Let's, but... let's not get uh, back into uh, that. Yeah, no, I'll get into that, but uh, that one actually was very clear, but, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, depending uh, on the point of view. Right. But, uh, actually, I, f- I find the fountain to be less frustrating uh, when, I, when I talk to fans of the actual movie. Uh, I, I find uh, the fountain to be less frustrating. I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, there's, I, I I think that 
it's wrong to dwell on ambiguity because I think that ambiguity was kind of the point. Yeah, oh no, I, I don't. I don't fault the movie for ambiguity. I fault the movie for lacking substance, like for having yeah, very uh, thin, uh, okay. thin amount of substance. But ambiguity is fine with me. Yeah, uh, uh, fair enough. And from what I read, it was an intentional choice. Like he, he envisioned for for that to be open to interpretation. So it definitely was an artistic choice for people not to necessarily have the answers as to what was going on in that particular scene. I definitely think the ending was meant to be cathartic. Um, you know, to be all about acceptance and, you know, embracing the fact that this guy has to die. I think it's done beautifully um, in that component, but unfortunately just, it's just, it's been a theme that's been touched on very well in other films that just wasn't done so as much here, but I still think it was a beautiful effort at it. It was something I think that was profound in some aspects. It's just, it would have been nice to get the rest of the movie. <laughs> I guess, yeah, because it yeah. was a shorter version. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and I, I, and I um, think a Brad Pitt performance that would have been somewhere between between you, Jackman here, and like Ad Astra probably would have benefited this movie. I don't know. Mm, interesting. <laughs> I think it went too far in Ad Astra, but you know, somewhere <laughs> in between. Nothing um, went too far in Ad Astra. Ad Astra is a fucking masterpiece. I guess well, someday <laughs> we have to talk about that. But, uh, apocalypse now in space only not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, that's good. I like that. Um, the, um, the, the only two things I was going to say, um, I wanted to add is just that, um, for me, an interesting parallel to this movie, like how I feel about it. Um, it reminds me a lot of how I feel about Peter Jackson's King Kong movie, except not nearly as passionately as I feel about that one. In both cases, you have a director who just came off the heels of a huge success. And um, even though, like we said, he was going to get this huge budget of like 70 something million dollars to make this movie with Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett and a whole bunch of different things happened. And that didn't end up happening. They ended up making for like a little over 30,000, I think, or something like that. Or 30 million, I'm sorry. Um and changing the actors and the cast and everything and changing up the story as well to make a much smaller film. It doesn't change the fact that like, uh, you know, the, the studio had a lot of faith in him after Requiem, you know, and people were eager to see his next movie, much like the way Peter Jackson was after the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And in both cases, I had this really high expectations for what I wanted to see and what I was expecting to see. And um, in both cases, I, I was met with a movie that I, I really like in a lot of ways. And I have a lot of, you know, I think they're both beautiful movies. And I think that, you know, they both have um, similar problems. Like um, they're, they're both, um, well, they're, they're both slow in the wrong ways. Um, Peter Jackson's is too long. Uh, the Kong movie is too long. And, and, um, this one is um, is a little too slow for how much story is actually being told, I feel, and stuff like that. But um, I, I just that's just a weird little thing that I just I kind of find them to be similar in that sense that they, um, even though the um, circumstances for the directors were totally different. The, and this last thing I wanted to say is really nitpicky, but I, I do feel like it should be said. It doesn't bother me as much. Um, as the other things I said, but, um, it's really dumb. 
I mean, it's it's really stupid. I, I've said this about a lot of movies, but I just feel that like when you're making a movie, especially if it's not a straightforward movie, just like a drama about characters or something like that, you know, whatever, and everything in it's totally realistic or whatever. Um, if you're asking your audience to start accepting um, some stuff that's not necessarily real, um, like in this movie, we're talking about a guy who's like, you know, operating on, you know, experimenting on, on um, uh, uh, primates, and he's discovered this like incredible thing that's going to change the whole world, probably. You would assume at least, mm-hmm. and um, not to mention the movie's jumping around to three different storylines and uh, within his life and everything. Uh, even though one of them is just a story, but um, you know, you, you're you're kind of ex- asking a lot of the audience anytime you're doing that in a movie i think it's really best to just keep things if something doesn't have to be complicated don't make it complicated you know um don't do something that's completely unnecessary that's going to make people go what you know and that that's you know something i famously have complained about the terrible fantastic four movie that was made a few years back but anyway that's not important um the tombstone at the end of this movie, he he refers to his wife, uh, Rachel Weiss's character, as Izzy through this whole movie. Everyone in the world knows that Izzy is short for Isabel. Um, I have the uh, Social Security official website up that r- tells you how popular names are of, of every person in this country. Um, there's all sorts of variations of how you would spell Isabel. And stuff like that, but I guarantee you that uh, the name I Z Z I Izzy actually being written on her birth certificate and therefore on her tombstone is so mind-bogglingly low in probability that it it's just crazy that they would do that. It's so dumb. Like you could call her Izzy all you want, but on her tombstone you say Isabel or Isabella or something. But you don't put I Z Z I on her tombstone. That's dumb. Because <laughs> that kind of guy. Uh, she wanted to be very informal, even in death. I don't know. Came across in her on the credit in the movie. It's it's spelled that way too. That is, ta- is it- this movie is telling me that her character was named that. That, that is her legal name. That's dumb. I mean, that's like if you had a movie where a, a, a white woman in America somewhere is named Susan or, or Sue, not Susan. Her name is not Susan. Her name's Sue. Her parents named her Sue. That's okay. That's been done. But for some reason, her name is spelled S-O-O, Sue. And they never bring it up. It's not like something where they go, oh, my parents were just these wacky people and or they couldn't spell right. And they wrote that on the birth certificate. And then we just decided to keep it that way. You know, it's not a character thing. It's not a moment they talk about in the movie or nothing. It's like everything else in the movie is totally normal. You're not expected to even dwell on this at all. That character dies at one point, And then suddenly this character you've been calling Sue this entire movie, you see a tombstone and it says Sue Smith or Baker or whatever the heck her last name, Sue, S-O-O. You're like, what the, what, what is that? <laughs> On IMDb, uh, she's uh, she's the the character is Isabel Izzy Creo. So I wonder uh, no, if if, uh, you, if you click on it, um, 
the Isabel is the name of the, the queen. queen. Um, ju just, oh. like, just like mm. if you click on, um, I, I thought that too at first, because, but um, if you look at the credits when they're rolling on the screen, both her and Hugh Jackman are listed with like four, three or four names. And Hugh Jackman is a Tomas, Tommy, and Tom. Yeah, because mm. of the three different timelines. So she's listed in the two timelines because she didn't actually play the tree. Although yeah. that, that would have been a really avant-garde choice, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> Isabel is queen, for like the duration of the Izzy, I Z Z I Creo is her character's name. Who named that child? Uh, it's possible. Yeah, it's, I would buy that. It's an unnecessarily complicated thing to put into a movie that about someone turning into a tree. I guess what they could have done is Isabella for the queen and Isabel for her would have been slightly more realistic. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. Or just write Izzy and then on the tombstone, don't write Isabella or Izzy because that's not realistic. <laughs> yeah. It would have been interesting actually if it was said Isabel because then it's connecting to the, the queen character and all that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we definitely had to have a, a nitpicky uh, adjacent moment, so we got <laughs> Andrew was uh, waiting for that with uh, Jason. Do you have your list list of things that nobody else would think? <laughs> I'm actually amazed. We uh, I think we should wrap it up with the cinematography rant. <laughs> we didn't have one, amazingly. Oh, uh, 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 okay. Um, uh, so I guess that's my cue. Um, uh, it, I mean, this movie looked fucking gorgeous and still the, the thing that has been bothering me since 2006, when this movie came out is I, I when they're ascending toward the star, the star should be, of course, very, very bright, which they got right in the movie everything's overexposed and by the way this is why we need to keep film alive this is why we can't just say hey just shoot everything fucking digitally because you know digital digital is going to do just fine no digital camera can handle the the amount of overexposure that they were doing with this movie still they're ascending toward a star which is one light source and when Rachel Weiss reaches down toward uh, Hugh Jackman's bald head she's casting multiple sharp hard shadows of her hand on his head that hmm. is not how things work i mean if you're ascending up toward a star like if you're approaching the sun i mean like look at a movie like sunshine actually one of the biggest problems with sunshine when it comes to the when it comes to the cinematography is that the light should have actually been softer as they got closer because the larger the light source is in, in relation to the subject the softer it gets yeah. The sun is a hard light source here because the sun is really far away. It's a point source. When you get closer to the sun, it gets really fucking bright, but the, uh, the actual shadow that it casts 
becomes softer and softer as you as you get closer to it. So same thing with the fountain. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that her hand would be casting multiple shadows for obvious reasons, because there's only one light source. But also, uh, it should be a soft shadow, just because they're getting really, really close to a very, very large light source. Uh, Again, I forgive it because it looks really fucking beautiful anyway, but uh, anyway, that's my rant. They probably uh, need more exposure there. That's why the hard light yeah. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Oh, well, I, well, 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 they probably didn't have the budget for it because they slashed the budget in half. You know, <laughs> you put up one, you know, like 100K soft sun and you're probably good, but they probably couldn't afford it. Um, I, I didn't know this until mm. this afternoon after I was done watching the movie. I looked it up. Um, I was incredibly surprised to find out that they didn't really use any CGI in this movie. Yeah, that's that oh, was yeah, pretty yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, most of it was like chemical reactions and like Petri dishes and micro photography and all that shit. I find uh, that very interesting. Yeah, uh, and that's one of, one of the aspects of the movies that I will always love. I mean, it... it, it I mean, the funny thing is, uh, knowing that we were going to do this uh, this episode, I showed my niece a still image with Hugh Jackman in the bubble, like going up into the nebula. And I asked her, you know, how much of this image do you think was CGI? And she just kind of said, well, (laughs) probably like 90% of it. And when I told her none, like zero, none of it was CGI, I mean, her her jaw just dropped. Uh, and that and the movie does deserve credit for that, you know, like that it actually went that extra mile to cut the uh, the computers out of the. Uh, out of the process. Um, but yeah. I kind of uh, wonder I, if like the Mayan temples were miniatures. I assume they must have been. I I, I think so. I, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, um, but yeah. I did find that interesting. There was a graphic novel that I, I think came before this. I wonder if the story works better in a graphic novel, but the reviews that I read, they're also mixed. <laughs> so. um, I don't know if it's, exactly the same thing but i believe it is um the i was just reading about that um i guess so aronofsky wrote the story back when it was gonna have 70 million dollars to make it and then aside from the cast changing and the budget changing he changed the story a lot to make it work for the smaller budget and so there Mm -hmm. were like apparently story elements that were significantly different and i guess it said somewhere along the line i don't know if it was before the movie was made or after the movie was made but somewhere along the line uh someone expressed interest and they they took his original story and um made a graphic novel out of it i believe if that's uh, like after the fact i think so because i read a review that said that it was based on his graphic novel but it seems like they came out it was almost like a like a 
companion piece type of thing. Well, it it would have been a story that was written. It would have been based off a story that came before the movie. I don't know I when the actual thing was published. Oh, I see. Like maybe it was where he had like a manual, like a, but he didn't publish it until maybe after the movie. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I just. It know seems that... like they both came out around two thousand six, like uh, from what I saw. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So I think we should give uh, uh, Andrew the last word. <laughs> I don't know how I could top all of that. I think, you know, with, despite the flaws uh, of the movie, some of the stuff I really appreciate and love about it, of course, is is the fact they did so much of it without C- CGI. You know, it does make this uh, timeless, kind of spooky, interesting sort of feel to those future scenes. But there's just the combination of, of the things that the movie got right when they all play together beautifully. I think it's just really spectacular. Again, it was a very special experience seeing it the way I did with Matt. And it's something I would have never seen without him. So thank you, Matt. It's something I do. Uh, it's a movie I do share with other people. My wife and I actually just watched it even before you guys invited me to do the podcast within the last few weeks. And it was her that wanted to see it again because she remembered the movie. She loves Rachel Weiss in it. And so it's something that really make, makes an impact on her. And that's somebody who's not like a uber film nerd like the rest of us are. So it's uh, it's something that does bring a great deal of emotion and I think different things to people. And, you know, I think it's something that people should should experience. I think it is something that could use a little bit more intention and love for, for what it did get right. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a, a good execution. And Rachel Wise uh, does have a very good performance there. So it, it's uh, it's good to hear that uh, that even casual viewers uh, are like connect with it. That's that's something that I personally didn't know. I thought this would be a train wreck for any like non movie buff <laughs> like i just like because like i remember like in the theater like the you know the the explosion stuff and everything and then a few more scenes and then you go back to the credits over the like the 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 flashing like lights whatever space explosion and i was like what the fuck did i just see like I, i'm imagining <laughs> most people having that re- i had that reaction so it's like let alone somebody else um like they're just like yeah, like I can only imagine that it was like a huge turnoff for a lot of people. Kind of like how, uh, yeah, like uh, a, a serious man has that ending with the tornado and stuff. And, um, you know, that, that kind of an ending or like, oh, boy, I can only imagine that the layman person is just like fucking annoyed with this movie right now. <laughs> As I was actually personally. So <laughs> anyways. But yeah, thank you for bringing it. Like I, I, I'm glad that yeah that it was it came from someone else and not from us. Cause uh, yeah, it just shows. I think that's the verdict. Is that like I guess there's more to it than especially I think it sounds like. Cause I, I I've given it the lowest rating. So it's good to know that this movie has something out there. I hope that a better movie could be made about it. I, I think it was called The Tree of Life, but I also think that's a flawed movie. And maybe there's an even better movie to be made about and it. And how? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. No, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think uh, Tree of Life was trying to do similar things, but uh, yeah, I think there's a better movie to be made than either of those. Uh, hopefully, it's made someday before we die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole death theme. <laughs> I got it. Uh, 
I, I, I'm really appreciating uh, Andrew's input, though. Uh, I, I mean, as a callous, emotionally withdrawn human being, it's uh, it's it's nice having somebody come in and uh, give a perspective who isn't a complete uh, sociopath. I think um, I think the term you're looking for, based on what you said earlier, is uh, cinematic masochist. Is, is you... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's um, you know, if I had to sum it up, it's a it's like an Easter egg with the most gorgeous shell that you can imagine anybody painting on. Uh, on an egg and then when you crack it open it's still just a raw egg hmm. uh but uh, do you, do you but, guys paint uncooked eggs i only paint the hard boiled <laughs> <laughs> like you just changed his life wait a second i guess i could boil them and be less risky to paint them <laughs> Actually, yeah, we usually do do uh, um, hard-boiled eggs for Easter, but, you know, yeah.